Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program. We do come your way every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We're also on Sundays, I should say Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. Our podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many other locations across the internet. And uh, we certainly hope that uh, you are uh, absolutely enjoying uh, what uh, we are bringing you. We hope that uh, it resonates with you. And if it does, and you'd like to be a part of what we are doing, and you can financially support us, which we are greatly appreciative of, I have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. So please uh, send uh, whatever you can. We'll take energetic support as well. We have a link on our homepage. And when you do go there, they're going to ask you for uh, an email address. And you're going to want to put in my email address, which is richard at richarddugan.com. We also ask you to uh, begin the process of spending time in that quiet, still, calm, peaceful place we call uh, the uh, inner inner life uh, during this decade of perfect vision where that's what you're going to get in that still quiet small place is um, basically you're going to get a perfect vision so to speak uh, as we are here uh, talking about the work of our returning guest Rebecca Dawson all the way from Australia thank you so much for being with us again it's always a pleasure to uh, to have you here because I always get an insight on what tomorrow is going to be like before I get there <laughs> or more importantly what we can do with the now moment which is the most important but uh, thank you for having me in the space it's always a delight to be here now you have a new release. I mean, you you you've been working like crazy over the years, I'm sure, and since the last time we spoke. And I think you may have mentioned the fact that you had another book coming out, and it's here, and it is entitled "Foo." It's the return of the magnetic human. Now it sounds an awful lot like, and again, because of what we deal with on this program, there's a connection to. Not so much the secret as much as the law of attraction. Am I far from that? Well, it's interesting because I don't really see it as a law of attraction. I see it as taking a bit of a paradigm leap beyond the law of attraction. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because a lot of the times when I hear people speak about law of attraction, which has been incredibly helpful and valuable for so many of us over the years, there is uh, still a sense of distance between Mm are and and what it is that you desire and yet there has been a truth in those core teachings that uh, we have everything that we need already so we dive into that a little bit more and look at the real energetic mechanics of the human and how we're actually designed to create and navigate life interesting and i want to ask this it's sort of a sidebar question but maybe it ties in a little bit there are those who i know some of them I don't know. I'm having a, I'm beginning to think I'm along with them in saying we're not indigenous to this planet. Does that have anything to do with it? If that's something that you even delve into in any realm for that matter. Well, I think, Oh, let's, let's answer this in a, in a different way. Okay. So rather than look at this as we've come from distance from somewhere else, 
let's just say that our vibration originates beyond what we see as the earth reality and the question is how can we best operate within it because we tend to identify ourselves and and determine what our limitations and our constructs and our capacities are based upon the appearance of the reality that we're in mm. so rather than say are we from another place i would suggest that we are multi-dimensional multi-capacitous in nature but we exist within this appearance of a third dimensional reality so we tend to think that we're third dimensional okay um so in in multi-dimensionality of course we have multiple aspects across time and space uh this is one particular aspect appearing in human form in this particular moment so we're so much more than what we appear to be okay all right and uh from there and I'm going to bring this up because I I share about my life, folks, uh, you know, to the maybe, maybe to the consternation of my friends and family, but I do. And what it brings to mind is the most recent event that has happened in my life that brings me to this this whole realm. You talk about what the third dimension and I've I've talked with a, a physicist about the fourth and fifth dimensions. Well, my eldest sister has entered that realm. Uh, she departed this earth on the 29th of March of this year. And I've been hearing her, if you will, in my ear. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, speaking to me and, and uh, saying, Richard, hey, Richard, it's going to be all right. It's all right. And I hear her laughter. And then, of course, I see the images of uh even most recent times when we spent christmas together what about that aspect of understanding is is the magnetic aspect of the human within the physical body in terms of the chemistry and the electromagnetic fields and the meridians and all of those kinds of things for example that chinese medicine talks about or is it beyond the physical that's, that's such a great question, and thank you for contextualizing that in terms of what's happened for you and your family recently. So uh, we, we can identify or have a sense of or a reference for our magnetic truth through, uh, through understandings of electromagnetic fields. So within this paradigm, within this realm, that's how we can reference it. But of course, the magnetic truth of who we are is actually quite universal. And it's a principle that it exists that exists across many dimensions um, and across time and space. But we measure it and we reference it oftentimes through electrical charge or electromagnetic fields. And that's something we talk about quite a lot through the book, actually. So in terms of when you talk about um, loved ones moving into what we call fourth density, it's almost like there's an expansion that occurs for them. So their identity and their experience and their consciousness is not distilled into a point of reference that's third dimensional or individual identity, but they start to have an expanded state of who they are and how they fit into a greater context of life. And again, mm -hmm. as we move into fifth dimensional reality and beyond and ultimately into multidimensionality, it's like a gathering of more of who you are. Mm. So it's, uh, it's an expansion of consciousness, I would say. 
I mentioned uh, the physicist that I spoke with who wrote a book called The Fifth Dimension. And we were walking back from lunch and he was sharing with me how I can prove to you the existence of the first, second, and third dimensions. I can show you height, width, depth. Uh, I cannot prove to you the existence of the fourth dimension. However, I can show you devices that will, uh, shall we say, elucidate the concept of the fifth dimension. A fourth dimension, I'm sorry, the fourth dimension. Then he went on to describe the fifth dimension. Now, I can't recall every single word that he said in that regard, but I'll paraphrase what I said to him after his explanation of the fifth dimension. I said, Everything that you've just described to me, it can be summed up in one word, if you will. God, the creator, divine intelligence, and again, whatever name you want to put on it. He said, you're absolutely right. Now, this is coming from a physicist, which was, was to me, it wasn't that surprising because you know, even within Christianity, as I was associated for 15 years in the broadcast industry, every person had their own perspective, their own ideas on the philosophy. Um, when we're talking about, uh, and I want to get into the aspect of, um, again, the magnetic human and its relevance, if you will, to our life today, you know? Uh, why does that make a difference to us today? But uh, talk to us a little bit, of it, if you can, about your understanding of what you see the fifth dimension as. Well, it's it's, it's so interesting because I love the way you mentioned that this other this other um, author and scientist speaks about the quandary of being able to ascertain the fifth dimensional reality within three D because we have the problem of measurability. And measurability, of course, an evidential um, cause and effect type process is something so specific to 3D because there's a premise and an understanding of distance. You have to have a distance between point A and point B to measure anything that also gives us cause and effect. And uh, that's generally the way we ascertain that anything exists. It's very difficult to know that anything exists if it occurs exactly where you are exactly in the moment, because the mind is wired to always make distinction between two things. Mm -hmm. And that's how we know that things exist, hence the third dimensional reality. So when we move into fifth dimensional reality, there is already an assumption that things can be material, but there's a unified field of awareness that begins to happen. Mm -hmm. And in essence, we, we don't see fifth dimensionality as the end game for humanity. It certainly is a great shift in consciousness that's occurring, but we see fifth dimensional awareness and consciousness and reality as the bridge between finite measurability of time and space, linear time, separation and duality, mm -hmm. and multi-dimensional capacity awareness and creation. Mm. So the fifth dimensionality is really the bridge that humanity passes through where the systems and the structures on the planet, the way we see ourselves in terms of measurability against each other, uh, certain structures and places in society, and even in terms of the distance between ourselves and other people, the body as a container rather than as, as a portal of energy and truth. All of these concepts start to 
expand. So mm. it's, a, it's a challenging time for humanity because when we enter that experience of fifth dimensionality, which is what's happening now, we can no longer continue to be satisfied with operating within limited systems of measurability. Mm. And a lot of people are getting very frustrated with that. <laughs> satisfying in the way that it used to. <laughs> oh, who wouldn't? Let me tell you. Um the one thing that has always happened to me, and it still happened with my, my sister when she passed, uh, is not so much, you know, the sadness and the, 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 the tears and the moaning and the, you know, the uh, weeping, wailing and gnashing of teeth, as they say in the Bible, it was more, it's always been this way for me. What's she doing? What's she going through? What's happening to her? When we come into this world, and of course, you and I, we've talked about reincarnation before, you know, it's been a conversation for people for, well, for, you know, decades, for centuries. It was part of the Christian philosophy in the early few centuries before uh, the powers that be said, ah, no, that, that, that gives them a way out. We don't want that, <laughs> you know, uh, to not behave in this life because they can always come back and behave in the next life. So we need to, we need to put a, we need to nip that one in the bud um, in terms of this magnetic uh, human. And again, when we talk human, we're, we are talking about the physical body. We, it seems to me that we have to be because without the physical body, we're no longer human, right? Well, it's our reference point, our entrance point and our anchor point into this reality. Yeah. So it's incredibly important. What does foo stand for? What does it mean? F U. Well, and it's not what you think, folk. It's not what you think, folks. Okay. <laughs> it's not an act of rebellion, no. certainly, or is it? Um, it's interesting because the word "foo" actually came out. Uh, so, so all of the information in the book came over two two lots of channeled series. The first one was called "The Return of the Human," and the second one was called uh, was about natural law and order and uh, natural systems and artificial systems on the planet. And all of that became the book because it was progressive information that gave us a bigger picture of where we're at for humanity at this time. So foo was a concept that actually came out and a term that came out during, during these channeled seminars about the magnetic truth of humanity. And at first it was a strange word to use because I'd never heard it before. Mm -hmm. And they were really describing the masters, which is the, the team that I channel, were describing foo as the movement of energy, the movement of cosmic energy and awareness that allows humanity to be completely sovereign and self-sustainable. And it's the principle of energy that allows all cells and DNA to continually regenerate itself. It allows sustenance to occur, and it really allows you to exist regardless of the system that you believe that you're existing within. Mm. And this is incredibly important because, and we'll get into this, because we, if we believe in a cause and effect paradigm and in essence, an electrical grid system of energy and information transference, we're not truly acting in sovereignty. Mm. So the word foo itself, I had to actually go and research and Google and say, what is this word foo and why are they using it? And what I found was that it's actually um, a, a word that comes from the um, Chinese practice of I Ching. And I actually describe this in the book, in the, in the preface, and it's actually about the return of all things to the self. Mm. And that's that the next. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
which is that toroidal movement that we often see illustrated as the magnetic field of the human. Is that something that is picked up in what's called Carilion photography, i.e. our auras? Or is that something different? How I would describe that, it's interesting because someone else interviewed me specifically on that topic recently. Ah. And, uh, and the, the, the information that we, we offered them was a little bit outside of what they were expecting. And what we were suggesting to them is that the different tonalities of sound and frequency that show up in, uh, in an auric field, perhaps through photography, Mm -hmm. also has a lot to do with the person that's actually viewing it, which is really interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that takes us into this fifth dimensional view of life where nothing is separate. Um, wow. So, yes, that kind of photography can pick up the presence of energy that sits around a human, but the intricacies and the subtleties in how it presents individually is not specific and isolated to the person that's being viewed it also has a lot to do with the person doing the viewing which is ultimately the mechanic of our reality is according to the viewer that is of course uh re-emphasized in a story about scientists conducting an experiment i don't remember what the experiment was or where it was on the planet but they wanted to replicate it multiple times to make sure they got the same results each time. And each time they got a different result and they couldn't understand why at first until they realized they were affecting the results of the experiment each time, because sometimes a certain scientist wasn't there. Um, some of them were in certain mindsets, et cetera, et cetera. There was some kind of change which of course is the constant of the universe. Wow. That is, uh, you know, and that's one of the things too, that's fascinating about, uh, for example, those who are intuitive, let's say we'll call them mediums, psychics, intuitive, intuitive individuals who we might seek out. Now I've sought them out, but more to say, look, I'm, I'm a little, my men, my mind is a little befuddled right now. So I just need some confirmation. I have a feeling that I should go this way, but I, I could use a little nudge. Okay. Now I probably would say these days I ought to go within, forget about going without somebody else. I should just go within and trust the still small voice um, because going without they're going to, most of the people I've ever talked with say, this is what I'm picking up right now. But in, in a minute, it could be totally different because everything's in motion. I love that you bring that up because we talk about that quite a bit in this book about what natural law is and what introduced systems of order to the planet are. And if we look at the true human design and the real design of nature on this earth, everything is designed for a point of differentiation. Mm. Everything is an individual design. It's all consciousness, but it's all individuated. And because of that, not only does it uphold a, a paradigm of separation, which we're, we're supposed to be within, to explore within this reality, but it also means that nothing can be repeated. And every creation is a new creation. Oh, wow. Of course. Yeah. It, may, oh, it, may, it makes sense. What you're saying makes absolute sense. That's but right. I don't know that people look at it that way, you know? Sometimes. Well, of course. 
was. Yeah. Because we've had around 300,000 or so years ago, which is a pretty long time frame, is when introduced systems of repetitious order began to be introduced into the Earth's reality. And this is where agricultural practices began. This is where things became very systemized, where repetition and regulation and consistency was demanded. And creation actually did not become the number one alluring feature of the human, where we do things differently all the time to explore this incredible paradigm of possibility. It all became about repetition. And that's really interesting because that's at about the time that this, this, this karmic cycle began to, to flow. Because if we don't get it right the first time, we come back and do it again. So there was this introduced system of repetition through trauma, through DNA and genetics being passed on through the same patterns and blueprints for experience that happen over and over and over again. So earth realities become incredibly repetitious. And yet the original design for the earth reality was to be the greatest creation space really in the galaxy and beyond where everything would be new all the time. So we're getting back into that feeling for things now mm -hmm. as consciousness expands beyond the limitations of third and fourth density. Now you, have a connection yourself with, is it what you call the masters? Is that right? Uh, yes. Yes. And they are, they are here to tell us basically, as you just uh, uh, elucidated quite well, that it is time for the true nature of humanity to be revealed time for the true nature of the earth reality to be revealed time for the truth of your origin to be known. You talk about the return of the magnetic human. Is that, uh, uh, and, and I'm, I'm not going down the, the rabbit hole with what I mentioned or brought up earlier in terms of where we are physically from, okay? That, that's up for debate, certainly. But in terms of a more metaphysical or spiritual context, uh, can you give us an insight into uh, our origin? <laughs> and this is this is going to be be a bit of a radical adventure for those who haven't considered life in this way before. It mm -hmm. certainly was for me when this information was first introduced, and yet there was a knowing that it was quite obvious. Also, mm -hmm. so so if we look at the construction of of the Earth reality, rather than looking at it purely in third dimensional physical form, we can look at it in terms of and and science is, is beginning to show us that this is true. We can see it as a dimensional fabric or and a holographic reality that's placed upon dimensional fabric. And, and every world in some way is an experience or a, or a space for experience to occur, a space for creation to occur. So, so the view that has been shared uh, from the masters and, and only fairly recently is that the earth reality, they actually call it a simulated reality, was designed to be the greatest creation space that had ever been created, where every single expression and moment would be something new. So there was this incredible array of possibilities that was available within this earth space. And so in that way, there were many aspects of consciousness from many different galactic systems and many different planets that wanted to come to see what was possible here. Mm. 
And in this way, the Earth reality was very fluid, very fluid, which is one of the reasons it had an apparent appearance of being a water planet and why it would seem that in the beginning life came out of the oceans, because there's something about the plasmic field. It has a very fluid nature to it, but we won't get into that too much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a lot of beings that came here and it, because it was so fluid, it was really designed to be a very flexible reality and you could really come and go as you please. Mm. So you could come and you could go as you please. And the way that you did that was through the physical body because all you had to do was attune to a particular frequency and you could enter the realm through the physical body and you could also leave. So there weren't these cycles of life and death imbued with the repetition of karma until much later. That was really around the Atlantean period where that was introduced. Oh, wow. So what we started to see was that it, people couldn't begin to leave freely they had to come and stay mm. and this is where that fourth density came in and you kind of got recycled back into the experience it was very difficult and they, that was where all the repetition started to come in and so on so the andromedans for example uh and i didn't know this before actually call the what we call the milky way andromeda too mm. because not just the earth that's one of these simulated realities it's also other planets within this galaxy as well so it's the creation space yeah and it's interesting to me that andromeda and milky way are beginning to move closer and closer and closer to each other at this time uh, oh so there's a, a some kind of merging or return to origin there that i believe that is facilitating this expanded awareness of who we are mm. But the way that I want to describe this without going into it too much in too much detail is that if you have anything that is a system of intelligence, so for example, this simulated Earth reality is, is a system of intelligence or a program. At a certain point, it becomes so elaborate with all of this creation that it really starts to believe in its own existence as a life form. And this is where it can get a little challenging. Yeah. So as such, the vibration and the consciousness of the beings arriving and creating within this simulation is, is what keeps it running. It's the energy of those present within it that keeps it running. And so what happens is that as consciousness expands, it's, there's so much energy going on within the Earth simulation that the simulation itself will create systems to try to limit the amount of energy. So you start to get a contraction experience. You start to get fear that comes in. You start to get people moving into programming that keeps them unconscious and so on. Yeah. Because the actual simulation cannot cope with that amount of consciousness in it. So where we find ourselves now in this impending bridge of fifth dimensionality is that this, the, the earth reality as it was cannot sustain itself with this increase and this caliber of consciousness, it has to shift. It has to change. Interesting. And that's where we are right now. Interesting. <laughs> now, here's a here's a, a, a an aspect of I'm going to say my my philosophy. Okay, or should I say um, maybe for others as well that unfortunately it it might be. How do I do this? 
it might come across as unkind, unfeeling, even disrespectful. But when you step into the observer's role in that higher consciousness, and again, I don't mean any disrespect through this explanation, but everybody here has chosen to play a role, right? So that means that whatever event, you can call it whatever you want, okay, that is happening right now on the physical plane on this planet, every single participant, direct and indirect, has chosen to be here to participate in that way, even if that means that they choose to leave or they are well, and it's still a choice, but they choose to be in a space where the physical body is, uh, how do I put this, um, is stopped, is shut down. You follow where I'm going with this without me getting yeah. any further yes. graphic? Okay. Yes. And I, I, I agree with, with, with you. And that Probably. takes out the emotion as far as the uh, shall we say the human being, okay, the, the, the emotional and intellectual part of the human being trying to make sense of it all and not understanding why it's happening. Whereas the person at the higher consciousness level says, there's nothing to be afraid of here. There's nothing to be sad over. All of these people have chosen those roles that they played. And so did I, and so did you. Is, th is that part of the what you were just talking about in terms of maintaining the level of fear and angst and so forth, so that people will take the position of, oh, Richard, you are one of the most insensitive and, and callous individuals I have ever heard on the radio. You can't possibly believe that, that your sister came here and had this role, that that, that was the way she was going to leave. Well, well, wait a minute. I have to believe that if I believe that I signed a contract, she signed a contract, uh, Rebecca signed a contract, you signed a contract, whether you believe it or not, to have the experiences that we're having. Well, well, yes, and I feel that, you know, the more conscious we become, we realise it's less about contract and it's more about an opportunity for creation because the distinction here in, in those two views that you're presenting is that one is a view that our experience here in Earth is a game of survival. The other view is that it's a game of creation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for your sister, she's a participant in the game of creation and has yeah. contributed and is still contributing to this massive shift that's occurring. Mm -hmm. If it seems as if we're peaking in terms of duality, in terms of there's the good guys and the bad guys and those who want to expand and those who want us to contract and so on, that's, that's duality coming to its peak. That's like a rare flower coming into bloom just before it dies. And so what we're seeing now is a grand and glorious display of the intensity of duality. But, you know, when you face the opposite of you right in the mirror or when you're faced with death, or you're faced with trauma or challenge or illness or whatever it is, authority, it, it, you come so close to recognise each other just before you merge. And that's where we are right now. So uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful time 
And then really it's a, it's a question of, do we see this as a game of survival? Do we see it as a game of creation? And if you're seeing it as a game of creation and change, because we're not trying to maintain things or go back to the way we were, we want to push into something new. Mm-hmm. And everything is an opportunity for growth. And when there's I... no one behind the curtain pulling the strings. <laughs> oh, I thought I was Oz. <laughs> Don't look no, behind the curtain. There's no one behind the curtain. (laughs) Don't look behind the curtain. I don't have my pants on. No. Um, And that's, that's what's interesting is, is that um, yes, I have all of these wonderful fond memories of her. I don't have any, honestly, I don't have any, shall we say bad memories. You know, there might be some, but they're overshadowed by the, 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 the plethora of grand Wonderful memories, especially the last of, of uh, being with her at Christmas time. Um, but at the same time, again, all of that was still part of the roles that she and I have chosen to play. So now when I do go back for her, it's actually a memorial, not so much a funeral. I am going to be there to support everyone else who isn't where I'm at, you know, uh, my brother and sisters and my parents. And yet they may, for all I know, and this is the other incredible thing that I want to ask you about in terms of uh, um, what we're just discussing about the contract, about who we choose to be, the family we choose to be born into and so forth. I have to tell you that when I look at what I've learned over the 61 years I've been on the planet, through the family that I grew up with and in, there's a part of me that wants to say, I think we all chose because when I have these conversations with my other older sister, we're not necessarily speaking the same language, but we're saying the same things in terms of our capacity for compassion, for understanding, for remembrance, yes. Uh, but for what is real. And uh, it's like my sister isn't gone. She's still here. I mean, I just can't see her. Uh, first of all, I wouldn't know what to look for. So I hear her. I do. I've, I have heard her voice in my head. Well, you know, sound precedes light. So you're likely to hear her before you yeah. see her, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, again, that's a question of is this an experience for survival and or an experience for creation so i would suggest to you if i may that even mm-hmm. when you are going to the memorial and interacting with family members if you are approaching that with a cause i really want to support them which is beautiful and compassionate there can be sometimes an energy to that that's about i'm trying to help them to survive to get through this mm. there is another alternative here where you could go into that experience as This is an opportunity for creation. I'm going to ignite and create some incredible conversations in this space. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm. People can move into something new. Yeah. I'm actually anticipating that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Fast transformation. Yeah. I was actually walking. I'm going to say the day that I was told, which was the 29th of March. I was walking uh, down our main street here in Santa Barbara, State Street. And this tune came to mind. So immediately I grabbed my phone. I turned on the recorder. 
And I started recording the tune. And the first thought that came to my mind was, this is, I'm going to write words to this, and this is going to be my sister's song. And the only reason why that came up was because I actually have written a song. It's my first uh, that I did going through sort of a therapeutic process back last uh, fall uh, with a good friend, uh, summer and fall with a friend of mine. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe there are more. You know, stories, yes, but I could put them into the context of and so on and so forth. So you're you're absolutely right. If we can turn it around to say, hey, let's create from this point, from these observations, from from this understanding, as I see it, I don't have to convince anybody. I don't have to change anybody. I don't have to do anything but just do what I'm doing. Because I'm going to do it, obviously, I'm going to do it with love and with compassion and with understanding, uh, but also with the knowledge that, in a manner of speaking, her, our story needs to be told because there's somebody who needs to hear it, somebody else. And that's why we do these programs, too, because somebody needs to hear this stuff. And I also, I think you believe, too, that there are people who, who will be drawn to this program to be drawn to the information that you have. Yes. And I would say it's not even the information. It's the vibration within Ah. which the conversation occurs. And Mm -hmm. that's the food. That's the magnetic frequency, which creates a quantum field of resonance. And it gives you vibrational visibility for that truth. So I'm experiencing that more and more. And that's part of the, the shift that we're having from the electrical systems of transference of data back to magnetic truth instead of relying on connections that are linear connections in order to be understood by people or received by people or for people to be able to hear you or even agree or understand what you're saying, we just reverberate with the vibration that is our truth. And it ignites that in others who are in a similar spectrum of vibration. So this is part of the reorganization of the planet that's happening actually. People are going to start forming communities and new structures and systems based on our resonance, where the people themselves are the basis of the structure, not the structures, because the structures are really inert and impotent. It's humanity that makes them potent. (laughs) So, you know, there's a lot of that happening. And even with what we're talking about today, I mean, magnetically, we could be reciting the alphabet or a nursery rhyme and it would still have the same impact upon the vibration because it's from the resonance if you will of us as an individual and then when you bring two people and more together you create a very unique resonance with the the maybe a harmonic resonance if you will wow and And imagine collective creation yeah wow we're talking Sorry. I was just going to say, we're talking with Rebecca Dawson. Is there a special website or is it your website we want to go to to find out about Foo, the return of the magnetic human? Oh, it's just my name. So Rebecca Dawson.net. So and, easy. Uh, there's loads of stuff on there. Very Absolutely. Life is simple. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, you know, we lay out this uh, this giant table that gets longer and longer every program. It, we call it a, I call it a smorgasbord. Uh, it's it contains all of the stuff that that we talk about on these programs, and we ask people to come and partake of that which 
resonates with them. Don't pick up anything that doesn't resonate with you. Uh, unless, of course, you're up for a challenge. And that's okay. You know, um, but here's what this is the way I look at it. You come, you pick up, let's say uh, what Rebecca's saying here on the program today resonates with you. You want to find out more, you go to her website. And then you come back to tell me your story for another interview with somebody else that you didn't quite cotton to. But now you have some new, shall we say, information or a new vibration that you have sort of taken within yourself. And now you're kind of open to this next person. And then you do the same thing over and over again. And it seems to me like that's kind of how we how we grow and raise our consciousness, isn't it? Well, I wouldn't actually say that we offer information and people receive information because that's that electrical transference system. Okay. What I would say is that through the vibrational resonance that we're creating together in this moment, that it's igniting something within others. And therefore, there is new information that becomes available within their own field. Because so many times people will say, well, I don't really understand what you're saying logically, but I can feel something. Yeah. It makes sense to me in some way. And then what happens is they start to have their own truths and understandings that get switched on. And really, that's that's what we do. We ignite people. Mm. Have you ever wondered why? you're in Australia as opposed to any place else on the planet. I remember a, a medium, a group that, yeah, I, I remember going to a, 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 a woman who channeled a group of entities. They called themselves Equinox. And uh, we'd go there once a month and uh, it would start out with a general conversation from Equinox about a particular subject. And then you'd have the opportunity to ask a question. And most people would say, uh, what message do you have for me? And uh, often she would say, why aren't you, why aren't you at the ocean? Says, well, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. You know, cause I lived, was born and raised in the desert in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, now I live in Santa Barbara because, and I didn't think it would be Santa Barbara. Uh, I didn't know where it was going to be, but I knew I had to get to the ocean. Well, okay, here I am. And I want to stay there or stay here. Not necessarily Santa Barbara, though not a bad place to be. Don't get me wrong. I don't know where the universe wants me to go next. Uh, but I know that a dear friend of mine who has since passed, and actually it's interesting, she passed uh, two years ago, right before the lockdown. Um, and she told me uh, while she was alive, she said, you are right where you need to be logistically. Okay, you are right where you need to be. The energy is perfect there. Yeah, Sedona is a great place in Arizona, but and so forth. So I'm wondering, have yes, you say you've 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 gotten, but have you been given any indication as to uh, not not that it's I suppose that relevant as to the why? Um, there because is something to it, definitely. Okay. So, so I, I live in Perth, which is Western Australia, which is actually the most isolated capital city in the world. And I can tell you it's been even more isolated in the last two years because our borders have been closed. We yeah. haven't even been able to move out of the state. So that's only just changed in the last month. Okay. Um, but the landmass here is incredibly ancient. It's one of the most ancient landmasses in the world. Our principal industry here is mining. So we have a lot of minerals. There's a, I actually live on a very ancient landscape. I live in a hills area and I'm actually, my house is sitting on granite and crystal and it's an old Atlantean outpost. So there's a lot of information that's embedded in the land here. Mm -hmm. 
I was born here. I travel a lot. I've been traveling on my own since I was 16. But interestingly, the energy here apparently is quite clean. And so we've been told it's almost immune to programming, which makes it very easy to be able to access information. <laughs> so, 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 so to avoid programming in the States, should we all come to Australia? <laughs> well, you know, the more we switch on, the more we listen to our own truth anyhow, yeah. the less we're using these electrical grid systems of information. So that's sort of becoming irrelevant now. Ah. But what's interesting is that I love Santa Barbara and I actually believe I'll be living there at some point. And what I find so interesting about Santa Barbara the first time I visited there is that the frequency and the energy is almost identical to where I live here in the Perth Hills. Mm. It even looks the same geologically. Wow. Wow. I, I have to say that all of the movies and programs that we've watched uh, that were filmed in Australia, I'm going, if I'm going to live anywhere in Australia, it's going to be along the coast. I ain't going anywhere inland because it is so freaking, it looks, it looks so desolate. It looks like, no, I don't, no way. Now, I'm not sure how it compares landmass size to the United States. I think it's a little smaller than the U.S. I, I'm not sure. Maybe it's about the same size in in landmass. Just, just Western Australia, where I am, is about the size of Western Europe. That's just our state. Wow, that's pretty yeah. good size. Wow. Yeah. So we have our sacred sites here in America. A lot, a very few that we are aware of. One of them, of course, is uh, Sedona, Arizona. That's one in particular that I know of because I grew up and would go there quite often. I remember seeing another program where they were actually searching across America, the United States, specifically the U.S., for like uh, stone circles, other ancient sites. And, and they did find a few. They did find a few. And the way they found them was by laying down those. Um, how do I put this? Those ley lines, like like how they've uh, drawn the ley lines uh, from uh, Stonehenge to this place, to that, to the Egyptian pyramids, uh, to some of the other sacred sites on the planet. And that's how they were able to find some of these places by putting those on a map, putting those lines on a map saying, OK, we're going to go along this line and see what we find. And boom, boom, boom. They would find some of these sacred sites. Another one that I love in, in Ireland is Newgrange on the western uh uh, Western shores of Ireland, north of Dublin. Beautiful prehistoric mound that we went into. The only th way I can describe the sound in that facility is it had, it had perfect acoustics. It just, but they wouldn't let you record anything in there at the time. And when we were there in early 2000s, uh, you couldn't take pictures, you couldn't record sound. Uh, they didn't want you to do that because they wanted to maintain respect for the the ancients the ancient ones that that used to live there apparently now they are limit li, limiting the amount of recording video photography and sound uh when you're when you're down inside the two in, inside the mound would you say that there are these kinds of places all over the planet no matter what country you mention in terms of today's naming of countries uh that sort of make up that metaphysical grid as opposed to the electromagnetic grid that we have created? That's a really good question. And actually, it's one of the reasons I travel so much is because I get guided to go and discover some of these places that aren't mm -hmm. on the map and haven't, haven't been recently recognized. 
-hmm. What I find really interesting about this topic is that as the vibrational frequency of the planet shifts and we start to move out of these electrical grid systems of operation and construction, we're going to see that the ley lines start to shift. So there are a Ooh. lot of very potent and powerful energetic sites on the planet that have not been recently discovered because they don't seem to fit into that current understanding of grid energy. And now because it's all starting to move, there's going to be a whole lot of new sacred sites that come into play. Mm. And, and a lot of them are just going to be discovered in the next five years. Some of them have already started to be discovered. Um, there's some oh, there's some incredible places I've been to. I won't go into it too, too much, but there's a couple of sites in Western Australia I'm still trying to get to, but logistically it's very difficult because it's so remote. Yeah. There's, a there's a place in, um, in Java in Indonesia that I've been visiting recently, which is 30,000 years older than 70,000 years. I think it got carbon dated too, older than the pyramids. Uh, that's a lot of technology there. I mean, there's all these places that are starting to become, I will say, starting to become online, starting to become visible. So mm. the next, once travel starts to open up, it's just going to be, or more freely, so much more to discover. It's like a whole new planet because things that wow. weren't visible in that previous range of frequency we were, frequency we were sitting in are now going to start to become visible. Mm. Greenland's an interesting one. Oh, yeah. I was and just so thinking about Course. Yeah, Antarctica. I can only imagine what's under that ice. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of people that are concerned about finding anything under that ice because if that ice melts away from Antarctica, they say it will raise the sea levels. And I wonder, you know, how most sinks and tubs have an overflow spot in them? I you know, we already know from the gyres that what we call the garbage gyres, they're spinning. They have always been there, but we never really saw them. We see them now because of all the garbage, but they've always been there. And I, I don't know, I, forgive me for being uh, overly graphic here, but they are basically the toilet drain, okay, of the planet. And so they take that stuff and they, they it goes down wherever it goes into that whirling stuff and maybe it goes down into the mantle where it it's burned up okay maybe that's where some of this volcanic activity is coming from because the pressure builds and because it's incinerating it has its own incinerator i'm just i'm speculating here the possibilities so now i'm wondering if maybe uh the same thing will be here uh, the same thing we've got a we've got a, a an overflow vent so that things don't overflow in spite of whatever measurements people are taking along the shores, how do you know that your your shoreline isn't sinking as opposed to the as opposed to the waters rising? But I, it's, I love this, yeah, I yeah. love this view because you know there's such an assumption that the Earth is a close a closed system, yeah, and that it's contained and therefore it can only take so much. It can only take so much consciousness. It can only take so much water. It can only and 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 the truth is anything that's that is essentially dimensional in, in, in nature or a holographic reality based on dimensional fabric is, is not a closed system. Yeah. It's I, know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this falls into the category of uh, foo, the return of the magnetic human or not, but, um, and I may have asked you this on a previous program in terms of a lot of people's skepticism 
over humanity's future on this planet uh, that some say we haven't quite reached the tipping point, whatever that is. Some people say, yeah, we've already reached the tipping point. It's too late. It's over. You know, now it's just, we're just waiting to die uh, as a species. And I don't know. I maintain a level of optimism that not, not that, you know, we'll fix it. No, uh, I don't think there's anything to be fixed in, in, in the respect to having to do anything on a grand scale to fix, because if we do our little part where we are, that's sufficient. I'm, I'm doing my part. I'm not trashing the place. Um, but what are your thoughts or what have the masters shared with you in terms of the longevity of humanity, at least as far as uh, mother earth, our mother uh, is concerned. Well, I mean, if we look at that, that expanded field of view that you offered so beautifully around the death of your, your sister, really, we see all of us as extensions of the one. Mm, okay. And therefore, you know, if we're here, we're meant to be here. We're an extension of that consciousness. I, I personally have the view that the earth is such an intelligent design that it totally knows what it's doing. And for humanity to believe that it could somehow overcome it or conquer it, I'm not so sure about that. I think we can see in history that when there has been evidence of disaster, nuclear war, that kind of thing, which, you know, there is some evidence for that in ancient history, that the earth has still maintained its embodiment. And so mm. there is, uh, to me, I mean, personally, I look at it this way. Sometimes it's almost a sense of... of uh, of egoic arrogance for humanity to believe that they could fix something as grandiose as a planetary design. Would we then also take the same tact that would say that if we can't fix it, did we really mess it up that badly? <laughs> See, everything is perspective. Yeah, exactly. Experience, right? <laughs> so you expand your consciousness, you have a different view. We don't, in this reality, in this time, in this vibration, we're just beginning to understand how everything really works. So how can you fix something if you don't really understand how it operates? But I think, again, yeah. it brings back to this point we made before together, mm -hmm. that it's either a game of creation or it's a game of survival. Yeah. And if it's a game of survival, our view of the planet is not a particularly spectacular one. Yeah. If it's a game of creation, there's optimism. What else can we create? What else can we do? How can we expand our view of what is possible? I often talk about uh, moving. I'm, I'm, I'm basically, I'm sick and tired of surviving. I've had enough of survival. I want to move to thrival. And I remember when I first said that, thinking that I had created a new word, and then I looked it up and realized, no, nah, Webster's had it all along. And that's okay. I you know, don't need to take credit for that. You just never hear it. <laughs> you just never hear the word. Yeah, thrival. But that's what I want. That's what I want for everybody. Why? Um, I was listening to a, a recording from uh, uh, my one of my favorite artists, uh, Harry Chapin. And it was a conversation he was having with someone. And he said, uh, he was talking about how, and this was back in the 80s, all right? I was in my early 20s when he said this, uh, or maybe late 70s anyway. And he was talking about 
uh, humanity. And he says, you know, um, you know, everybody's worried about, you know, the polluting of the earth and this and that, you know, they're polluting the air and the water and the land and this and that and the other. He says, now people are worried about air pollution, you know, but you don't hear of uh, very many people uh, dying of asphyxiation. Uh, you hear about, uh, you know, the waters being polluted, but, uh, you know, you don't seem to hear anything about, you know, people uh, getting sick and dying from, uh, or, or rather that there's not enough water to drink. And, uh, um, and then in terms of the food, he says, we've got enough food. This was back in the late seventies. We have enough food on this planet to feed the entire population three times over. Why, why, why are people starving? Why in America, especially, but anywhere for that matter. And I've come to the conclusion. The answer to that question is why it's the, the problem is, and they're blaming it today because of what we're happening, what's happening, probably not just in America, but across the country, our world. That's the, the whole issue of distribution. They're, they're blaming it. I'm going to put it that way. They're blaming it on the distribution. There should not be a distribution problem uh, of, of any kind. Because there is, it's like you said earlier, and this is my perspective, there's more than enough water on the planet. As a matter of fact, I think you might agree. There's always been exactly the same amount of water on the planet ever since man has been here. It just keeps changing form, right? So all you have to do when it rains is get your containers out there and catch the water. And it's great water to drink rainwater. I want you to know, have you ever drank rainwater? Oh my. Yeah, rainwater tanks are a big thing in Australia. <laughs> oh, it's fabulous. Um anyway. So, uh but we don't like for here in Santa Barbara. We we've got these massive rainstorms. We had 4 inches of rain up where I live. The last storm we had come through here. 4 inches of rain. Imagine how many gallons of water that would have provided if we had set up these collection devices to collect it. And yet we're in a drought, they say. Now it's the 23 years that they've been in a drought, on and off, in here in California. It's like, well, then do something different. We did something different, whether you agree or disagree with the pandemic and masks and six feet and all of that stuff. We did something different that we'd never done before. We shut everything down. And I was excited because I knew we'd come out the other side and it would be different than it had ever been before, whether we like it or not. What's that? And there's creation. And there's creation. So you're creating your way out of a situation instead of trying to fix it. And that's a huge distinction because when we try to fix the systems that are already in place, we're actually reinforcing them. Instead of actually being willing to step outside of it and into that creative space and say, well, what else is possible? Mm -hmm. And this is what, because I do quite a bit of, uh creation and possibilities with uh people who work in corporate environments and one mm-hmm. of the most common frustrations for people who've been doing this for many years is that it's very very difficult to introduce change into system systems yeah. are really uh, built and designed to reinforce themselves and to be resistant to change so if you're trying to repair anything that's already in place it's incredibly difficult change happens when you're willing to step out into the unknown and do something new there. So we tend to think that solving the issues of the planet means reinforcing and fixing our current systems. Yeah. Rather than creating new ones. Yeah. And, and I, I even use the analogy, it's a real one, when the automobile was introduced back in the late 1800s. 
do you, don't you think that the horse and buggy industry, whatever it was, was a little up in arms over the whole thing? What's going to happen to us? You know, um, and I hear the complaints. I hear the whining and moaning and groaning and the gnashing of teeth over uh, people's uh, ch- wanting to choose uh, solar or wind. There's even wave power where they put these devices at the, on the bottom of the ocean to catch the cur- the movement of the ocean to generate power. They want to put wind turbines on platforms and put them out on the ocean to to generate energy. Uh, and and people are coming up with all kinds of new and innovative ideas to generate uh, uh, the power that we need to run whatever. And it's like, why is that such a bad thing to consider? Why can't we start moving in that direction? If you think we're moving too fast, then come up. I mean, and I'm going to share this with you and our audience, and I've shared it maybe a couple of other times. I have a solution. It will solve all the problems on the planet. And I will tell you up front, Rebecca, you and everybody listening will not like it. You will detest this solution. Okay. But it will work. I guarantee it. And especially if you take that higher view that we were talking about before, that we're all part of the one. Every member of the nuclear family sets off their weapons and we just wipe out the planet and wipe ourselves out. Do we have any more problems? No, there are no more problems. Do you like that solution? I can look, see a look on your face. No, you don't like that solution, but I offered one. Okay. I offered one. I don't like it either. I'm not hearing solutions. I'm hearing complaining, whining, and, and, and moaning and groaning. How do people don't like change? Because people don't like to. Have you ever found a way to help someone to better understand that concept of change and somehow to learn how to embrace it, to love it, to make it your friend? You know, I think one of the most important things we talk about, and this could be a whole a whole other conversation, but one of the most important things we talk about is the shift in how people perceive what choice is. Because how we've understood choice mm-hmm. is that it's sacrificial in nature ah. on opportunity cost. So if I can choose A, I miss out on choice B. I mean, everything in life is, is based upon this principle that choice is dualistic and sacrificial. So people are afraid to choose because they're afraid of what they miss out on. Ah. So a lot of people are not choosing at all and if they're not choosing they're in automated behavior and they keep doing the same things over and over again and the population is not a population of creative geniuses as which is what we're designed to be we're a population of repetitious unconscious survivors because people are afraid to choose but once you start to understand that the paradigm of your own body and the paradigm of fifth dimensional consciousness you begin to realize that choice is unlimited and just because you choose one thing it doesn't mean it sets off a trajectory of a timeline that you're not now bound to mm-hmm. you can choose again and again and again and i think we might have even talked about this last time i was on your show I think it's so. like choosing from the buffet i'm going to try a bit of everything because there's no trajectory of timeline of consequence it's now creative and i get to choose with free will 
Yeah. And this is what people have not understood. They've been choosing off the a la carte menu. If I pick that, I can't have that. And my options are limited. So maybe I just won't choose anything at all and keep doing the same thing. I'll briefly share this with you. And this may explain why I chose the parents that I came into this world with. It's often said that um, people make sacrifices when they become, uh, when they get married and they sacrifice this in exchange for that, just as you just described. If I do this, I can't have that. I asked my parents in an interview that I had with them on this very program that no one has heard except my family, because my mother says, no, you may not put that on the radio. Someday I hope, I, I hope to. But I asked her, I says, did you and dad sacrifice anything to have all six of us? And my mother said, no, we sacrificed nothing because we wanted a big family. Now, the way I look at that in terms of even what you described, they said, we want a big family. We're not going to lose anything. We're only going to gain. We're going to create a big family. And so they didn't see it as win versus lose. And I think that's a lot of, that was the mentality, the spiritual focus, if you will, that they had going into creating each one of us. Creation, not survival. Creation, not survival. Yeah. How about your family? What about your growing up and your family, your siblings, if there are any, your parents? Uh, an extended family and so forth. How do they view a lot of what you talk about in this, in this regard? Well, um, it's quite interesting because my family construct and setup was quite convoluted. Um, so my, my mother was married twice and my father was married four times. So there was all sorts of permutations of <laughs> which was perfect for me because I was just in my own zone doing my own thing and was quite uh, independent from a young age. Um, I was quite lucky because my mother identified that I had certain attributes and uh, abilities young and, and so she supported me to do this. I think my family look at what I do with interest. Um, I think they think that it's interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and they, they all have their spiritual beliefs. Um, but they're not, I wouldn't say that they uh, are very closely involved with what I do. They're very supportive of it. But again, we all have our own view of reality. We all have our own perspective of reality. Um, yeah, it's been interesting with partnerships over the years for myself personally, you know, because it's such a big thing to have a particular view of the world and sit alongside somebody that might not have the same view as you is yeah. an incredible opportunity to uh, honor the fact that multiple views of reality occur all within the same space. <laughs> I, I hear you. Rebecca Dawson's my guest here on the program. RebeccaDawson.net is the website. Foo, which is the title of the book. Foo, the return to mag uh, magnetic humanity. Uh, and we're talking about a lot of different areas that sort of apply. Um, I want to ask you, because... I, I'm not the only one that that has that, that sort of wants to do this, but I want to put this to you and say, okay, so how do I make this happen knowing that everyone has a different perspective? I want to change the world for the better for everybody. 
But my better perspective of better is not necessarily going to be the same as yours or the next person or the next person who also wants to change the world for the better for everybody. So how do we come together to create that? And and again, this is a generic word, that better world. First thing, mind your own reality, because that puts you at the center of your experience, the center of your magnetic field. And that's where you're the most powerful position to be in to create change in your own view of reality. Mm. When you do that and you operate from your truth, you create a vibrational field that creates a quantum field of resonance and other people who have a similar view begin to show up in your reality. And that's when you can start to create things together. And that is also part of that magnetism, right? Absolutely. So I can stay focused, just as I've told many people, I said, don't, don't worry about what's going on out there. Do I watch the news? Try not to. The irony is I, I have worked most of my life for news talk and information stations. <laughs> and so I get it. But I take this perspective, uh, uh, Rebecca, and that is I know that what's going on out in the outer world is man's inhumanity to man. No matter what's happening, it's happening. And I don't need to be inundated and, and, and my mind be reinforced by the knowledge thereof. I already know that this is happening because as we've already said, there are people all across the spectrum from one end to the other. That's, that's just the reality of this world. So why should I, so to speak, befuddle my mind and my emotions and my, and my spirit with a continued bombardment of that information? Focus on my inner life, right? Focus on my community that I have created, right? And that's the real, that's the real essence, isn't it, of the return to magnetic human, uh, humanity? Or sit at the center of your reality and operate from there because that's the power center of what it is that you're creating yeah your view is how reality appears and that also means that the energies that you have as an individual are going to be used on those things that you want to create as opposed to i'm going to use the word wasted on efforts that we've seen over time, history has proven don't work. They just don't work. And I could cite some, but uh, do I really need to? I mean, come on, I'll look around us. I grew up in the 60s watching the Jetsons on TV, a cartoon about the future. And I was thinking, well, the 21st century is going to be cool. You know, for some reason, I put it off into the 21st century because the 21st just sounded so futuristic we're not even close but that wasn't what was really important as i have grown into my 20s 30s and 40s it's community that's important it's raising the consciousness of the planet that's important not flying cars (laughs) and and apartment buildings up on uh, uh on a post you know kind of thing high in the sky uh and 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 yet we're still we're still playing the same old games that God, we've been playing ever since we've gotten here. Of course, because the focus is always on how can we improve what's beyond ourselves. So even in terms of technology, and this is a conversation we've had with some really 
innovative scientists on the planet, anything that we're creating technology-wise externally is really just a reference point for what we as humans are capable of. Mm. Because we are the center of our reality. So we really could be focusing on our own human technology for creation, our own human technology for generating energy and and movement and uh, a lot of different capacities that are arising at this time. So instead of putting energy into something beyond yourself, really focused on the power that you are because you are shaping reality. And if enough people are doing that in an agreement of resonance, we're going to form a new planet pretty quickly. And this is how the new sociological and economic systems will be formed also. And uh, we could use those new uh, systems uh, now rather than later. I remember interviewing Jacques Fresco, who uh, designed, he is an architect and a futurist. He's since left this planet. Um, but he talked about uh, a, a new, whole new system. It was, had three basic pillars. One of them was uh, a whole new economic system where the resources did not belong to specific companies or people or organizations. The resources belonged to everybody. Uh, certainly, you still have to have distribution. But the resources would be ours. And the best analogy I could come up with from that standpoint was to explain it this way. Got all these little USB flash drives in this big bin in the store. All right. Let's just say it's an electronic store. I, I, I need one. I can go in. I just pick one up and take it. And I walk out the door. No questions asked because the resources are all of ours. Okay. I'm not stealing it. I, I'm going to use it for a while and then I'll put it in the proper recycle bin if, if that's the case or maybe return it or what have you. But anyway, so I'm walking out and an individual comes up to me and says, I want that. I want that. Give it to me. I'm going to give it to him. Not because I'm afraid of being injured, but at the same time, I'm going to hand it to him saying, oh, by the way, you do know that there's a bunch of them back there at that store. Okay. So if you want more, there are more back there. And of course, I'm going back to the store <laughs> to, to get another one because I need one for my project. Because we think that we own this stuff. We don't own, and, and uh, there's a beautiful Irish song and the line in it goes, you don't own the land, the land owns you. So Steve Martin said back in the 70s on one of his comedy albums, you know how they say you can't take it with you? Well, I'm taking it with me. And if you can figure out how to do that, more power to you. But I really don't want to take anything with me from here. Um, I love this. It's such a great illustration because it's the perfect illustration of our, our magnetic truth. And indeed, the greatest manifestors, alchemists, avatars, magis that this planet has ever seen understood the truth that the only way they could create the incredible things that they created, manifest a diamond in your hand, even the fishes and loaves story, if we want to yeah. get biblical, was really about that principle that as creator beings, you can redirect energy, you can elicit energy and reform it, but you can't keep anything. No. This is the truth with abundance. You know, you can you can redirect money if you if that's the form of abundance you want to play with, but you mm -hmm. can't actually keep any of it. There's no there can't be an accumulation. It, it can may, only be flow. Yeah. It looks like an accumulation when you start hearing the reports about Elon Musk and Bezos and uh, and the list goes on. But they can't keep it. It's when they die all the time. Yeah. When they but die. Yeah. It's not theirs anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Go That's ahead. Right. 
No, I was just saying, even physically, the wealthiest people on the planet, they don't actually accumulate anything. That abundance is just being redistributed and reformed and recreated all the time oh. because that kind of flow is required for creation. And of course, you used a dirty word here in America called redistribution. People are so afraid of it. But the funny thing is, it's a universal, natural law. It has nothing to do with socialism or communism. It has to do with universal law. There's another beautiful one I love when I am doing projects for people. And that is, as I team it, one of the other laws of the universe is <clears throat> the law of exchange. There is always, always, always an exchange. It may not be the kind of exchange that you want i.e., I did this other project over here where I work, so my paycheck should go up. Not necessarily. Maybe you'll get prosperity or abundance through another source. And that's, again, changing one's perspective on what is. Yes, and I see that as flow because exchange can be tricky when we start to put quantification on it. <laughs> right, right. Oh, I, I have to tell you that, that you know, I'm not going to say I've ever been paid in chickens. We have chickens who give us eggs, but there's an exchange right there. And I told I tell people people ask, do you eat the chickens? I said, no, they're for laying eggs. We wouldn't eat them. And even if they stopped laying, we wouldn't eat them. We would not. We would let them live because they give their all every day or every other day to give us that wonderful uh, uh, oval, if you will, uh, that tastes so good. And we thank you, thank you, thank you, chickens. Um, but I've, I've been paid in so many different ways. And sometimes it's just in conversations like this. To me, that is, that's part of the exchange. So it's beautiful. <laughs> Rebecca Dawson is my guest here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And Rebecca, you know, you've been on the program three times. And uh, I always go here because this is where we go at the end of the program. Uh, but we're not going to go there just yet because I have to tell you, the listener and the viewer, that you're listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. And the podcasts are also on the homepage of richarddugan.com, as well as SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, and many other locations on the internet. And we are on YouTube where you can listen to and watch these interviews. We hope that you'll subscribe as well. And if you can support us financially, we have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. When you go to send, they're going to ask for an email address. And that is richard at richarddugan.com. And probably the most important thing of all is for you to participate. If you would, you can call it whatever you want. We call it the decade of perfect vision, where you go within, you listen to that still small voice. And in my case, it's a combination of my friend and my sister. I'm listening to her as well. And uh, if it brings me nothing more than comfort uh, in my mind and my heart, then th that's good enough for me. 
Uh, so we hope that you will uh, spend some time uh, listening to your still small voice. With that, uh, Rebecca, I've, I've added a new segment of our show. It's called the, the Rapid Fire uh, uh, Game Show portion of Tell Me Your Story, where we ask these three final questions of our guests. Uh, you may have addressed them to some degree during the program, but we'd like to ask them directly. And your answers will probably change from one program to the next. That's sort of the fun of it when we have returning guests. So the first of those three questions is, who is Rebecca Dawson? Uh, well, Rebecca Dawson is an identifiable reference point for an aspect of a multidimensional being that's currently residing within the Earth reality. <laughs> what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Uh, to ignite and usher in the new systems and organizations of resonance on the planet. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Hmm. To discover freedom within an experience of non-freedom. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that, uh, we thank you so much for joining us again all the way from Australia. Um, it's, it's the day after for me talking to you there. But it is it, what is so amazing about it for both of us, it is right here. It is the now. It is. Is that wild? I love it. I'm not in the future. I'm in the present moment you, with you. <laughs> absolutely. And I with you. And it's, it's exciting. And we hope to have you back again, whether it's with another book or other elements that you would like to discuss and share with our listening audience. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. It was invigorating and enjoyable as always. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> and I thank you. And I thank you for listening to and watching. Tell me your story, new paradigms for a new world. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I'll be listening.